Man, so we had some Thanksgiving, or, or, or some of us had uh, uh, more, than, more than one. Uh, I think Travis and Megan may hold the record this weekend, uh, but uh, uh, maybe hopefully everybody got enough to eat and all that. But at some point over the past weekend, we probably gathered around a table. And some of my best and some of my um, most uncomfortable memories happen around a table of some kind. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a, something that happened like a year ago. Um, we had just uh, refinished like a farmhouse table we'd built a few years ago, and, and, it, and we'd put it out back. And so we were eating a nice meal out on the back porch. Our family was uh, we're eating a, a nice meal out on the back porch, and it was just, just perfect time of year. It was spring. The mosquitoes were not out yet, and we had uh, you know folk music streaming on the uh, on, on the speaker, and the food was great. And uh, and I just said to the kids, I said, you know, hey, just just make a mental note of this moment. To just take this moment and this is your garden of Eden. And, and they just kind of looked at me like, you know, what's dad know? You know, he's crazy. He's talking crazy again. Uh, but uh, it's one of those moments where you could just kind of step back and say, wow, life is good. This is a good moment. And we have those kind of moments. And so, um, you know, m- most of us that over the weekend, uh, as we gathered around a table of some kind, you probably had enough to eat. Some of us had too much to eat. And we hold that tension uh, that some of us had too much to eat and some of us in our world, in our nation, in our state, even in our county, didn't have enough to eat. It, it's hard to kind of reconcile all of that. Um, some of us gathered around a table and maybe you just had some moments where you connected and reconnected uh, with your loved ones. Um, and maybe as you had a few moments around a table of connection, you just thought to yourself, wow, man, this is really good. This is how life was meant to be. And, and maybe around your table you had that taste of the good life, good food, people you love, people who love you, uh, laughter. And, and, and for those brief moments of togetherness, you tasted heaven on earth. But then it was over and it was time to go home to responsibilities and bills and chores and, and relationships that take a lot of work to keep afloat. Um, and whether you realize it or not, in that moment of goodness around the table, you had a foretaste of heaven. You had a little taste of the day that we will all gather around this table um, and, 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 and in the presence of Christ and we will feast and we will party. There's this party that God has invited you to. And you had a foretaste of that, I hope, this weekend. But, it, but that foretaste leaves us wanting more. But maybe, you know, your table wasn't full of joy. Maybe it wasn't full of connection. Maybe you felt very alone this last week. Uh, maybe there was tension. Maybe there was heartache. Um, you know, before, uh, a few years ago, when we first moved to Sweetwater, uh, we were, before we could move into our house, uh, we kind of bounced around a little bit, and the Greens were gracious enough to let us stay with them a few weeks before we closed and moved in on our house. And, and, um, and Alma, our, our third daughter, was around three-ish at the time, and she was in this phase where she just would not eat. You know, and she would store stuff in her gums and try to, you know, pack stuff away from the table and not eat it. And, and there was this moment where I'm really laying down the law to Alma, and everybody just thought, well, Alma's so cute, don't get on to Alma. And I'm saying, hey, you are going to eat. And there was a showdown going on, and it was tense. And now you're going to eat, and, and, or, or, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And, and the greens are like looking like, oh, man, this is. And Al- Alma just says, in her little three year old voice, she says, awkward and and it was it was awkward and maybe thanksgiving was awkward Uh, maybe it was tense 
Maybe there were seats missing at the table, people who are not in your life right now due to death or disagreement or circumstances. Maybe your table was a solemn reminder that this world is out of joint. This world is a mess and all the turkey in the world can't fill up what we're missing. Whether you realize it or not, that solemn table awakened a deep hunger in you for heaven for a new world to come, for things to be made new. And so if we had one of those Garden of Eden moments, it was a foretaste of what is to come. If we had one of those awkward moments, it, is, uh, it awakens a hunger for what is to come. And over the last few months, as we've been talking about this series, Refocus, um, we've been saying that, that, that life comes into focus as we focus on Jesus. And we've talked about the things that love does. Love uh, forgives. Uh, love serves. Love honors, love encourages, love prays, love confesses. And, 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 and we've seen that these aren't just random things that God's calling us to do, but these are, 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 are practices that are rooted in the Trinitarian uh, nature of God. God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, He invites us in. He invites us to the table to just join into His life. Um, and, and, and as we wrap up the series today and we prepare to move into Advent next week and prepare for the coming of the Lord, I want us to see one more thing that love does, and that's love wins. And when we say love wins, we're not saying that love demands to have its own way or, or love goes and throws the Monopoly game in the trash if it, if it, if it, if it loses. We're not saying love is a bad sport, but we're, we're speaking to the New Testament hope. That, that we have in Christ. We're speaking of the gospel hope we have in Christ that God's unconditional love will overcome and overpower any sin, any darkness, any addiction that we or a loved one may have. Love overcomes sin, love overcomes loss, love overcomes pain. And we sing a song here sometimes that sings, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. And that's what we're getting at when we say that love wins. Love wins in your fractured and broken relationships today with that loved one that seems so far away and so out of reach. Love is what will eventually bring restoration. Not your love, but God's love. In our fallen world, in our vast universe, it's God's love that will win. It's, this universe is heading to a beautiful place, a beautiful future, and we get to be part of that. All things will one day be made new. And so the gospel story promises that love wins. Love wins because Christ has died and Christ has risen. Christ has allowed evil to do its worst to him. And he has overcome. Because Christ has died and risen, the gospel story promises that love wins. And so read, I want to read Romans 8, beginning of verse 18. Romans 8 is one of those great passages of Scripture. It's one of those Scriptures that you kind of break through the brush and you step out onto this view and you can kind of just see for miles. And from this vantage point of Romans 8, we can see just the, the plan of God for you and Jesus individually, but also for the whole universe, for the whole cosmos. He lays out, Paul lays out God's plan. Romans 8, 18, For I consider, Paul writes, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, Paul is saying, I consider, I think about, I set my mind on, as I think about hope, and as I think about suffering, the suffering that we experience doesn't tip the scales in comparison to the new creation, the, 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 the hope, the glory that is to come. Now, Paul knows something about suffering. 
He's been beaten up. He's been stoned with rocks. He's been kicked out of town. He's spent years in prison. He knows about suffering. And as he suffered, he's found his anchor in hope in the fact that this world is going. Glad you enjoyed that, Travis. That the world is, is going somewhere. And he says, I consider my hope and I consider suffering. And the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager anticipation. In other words, the creation is standing on tiptoe waiting for uh, the, the glory of the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption uh, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what is, we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Wednesday, last Wednesday afternoon, we were driving to San Antonio to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving with uh, Sonda's side of the family. And it was like everybody was driving last Wednesday. Probably, probably like today. I haven't been out on the road today, but our, our first responders were we're working hard. Our, 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 our law enforcement were working really hard. And thankfully, they were chasing people that weren't us. Um, but uh, everybody and their dog was out. In fact, I'm pretty sure I saw a poodle driving down, driving down the interstate. But everybody was out. And I was like, man, how can this many people, this is a simple thought, I know, but like, how can this many people have somewhere to go? You know what I mean? Like, how can this, all these thousands and thousands of people be barreling down the highway at once, and, 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 and as you look at it, at times we're flying down the highway, and at times we're ground to a standstill, and it seemed so random and so disorganized, people just hurling down the road. But I was struck by that thought that's so simple, but yet it was profound to me, all these people are going somewhere. Every single person out here on this road has a destination. And they may get to the destination they have in mind, and they may end up somewhere unexpected, but all these thousands and really millions of people are heading somewhere. And in Romans 8, what Paul is calling us to consider is as we zoom out, is he's saying every person in this world is heading somewhere. Everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And not only that, but a good God is taking this beautiful universe and he's taking it somewhere good. And we get to be part of that here and now. This world and this universe often seems like traffic between here and San Antonio or, or on I-20. It often seems chaotic and meaningless and random. But Paul's telling us that a good God is providentially guiding every molecule in his creation. And he's taking this world somewhere and there's a party waiting. He invites us to the table to be part of it. So gospel hope is something to set our mind on. Paul says, I consider, verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. In other words, Paul says, I consider it. This is something that Paul regularly holds before his mind. He thinks about hope. As he sat in prison cells and as he was beaten and as he was rejected, you better believe that Paul thought about his hope. 
he thought about this reality that this universe is going somewhere and it's going somewhere good and God wants me to be a part of it. And God, like Misty shared earlier, God wants me to take as many people into that good future as, as I possibly can as I share the message that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is Lord. And, <clears throat> and, and he says, I think about hope. I consider it. And, and how many of us only think about like heaven and the hereafter and hope when we go to a funeral, I mean, is that something we think about? That this world is going somewhere. God is taking his creation somewhere. Um, according to Paul's calculation, he says, I, I've, I've done the math. I've calculated it. He says, and as, as, as real as the sufferings in this present world are, and they're real, and we can acknowledge they're real. He says they don't even tip the scales compared to the glory that is to come. And that word glory is a big word. It's a big word in the scripture. It's a big word in the, in, in the letter to the Romans. He, he says in, 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 uh, Paul says in Romans one twenty three that we turned away from God's glory in our sin, and we worshiped little g gods that aren't really gods. In Romans 3.23, he says we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And here in Romans 8, Paul says that there's coming a day that the clouds are going to be pulled back, the curtains are going to be ripped open, and we're going to see the glory of God full on, and we're going to become who God always intended us to be, and this universe is going to become uh, what it was always intended to be. And, and, and the picture here, he says, you don't hope for what you see, you hope for what you don't see. And, and, and the picture for, for us here is that, that hope um, is what we hold on to. Hope is our anchor that we hold on to whatever chaos or craziness may be going on in our lives. Love is going to win. And so, you know, who in here is Christmas time? Who wraps your Christmas gifts for your kids or grandkids in clear plastic? Anybody do that? We don't do that uh, because the whole joy is in the anticipation of tearing that wrapping paper off, right? And And, 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 and Paul is kind of getting at this idea that one day Jesus is going to tear that wrapping paper off of this universe. Um, and he's going to reveal his glory. And it's going to come piercing through, and we're going to be transformed, and this whole broken world and broken cosmos is going to be restored. And that's something to anticipate. That's something to think about. And so we can honor, as hopeful people, we can honor that, man, evil is real and suffering is real. And this world's a mess. It's even more of a mess than we, than we think it is. But as hopeful people, we also honor that God is taking this universe somewhere good and we want to be part of it. So at the beginning of this series, I shared about getting glasses when I was in the third grade. And, 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 I, and, and, and they were like this thick. And I went from not being able to see to suddenly I could see almost the future. And how, how our, our lenses that we view life through, that affects how we view everything. And, and we all view the world through some kind of lens. And maybe we, we view the world through a lens of self-righteousness, or we view the world through a lens of victimhood, or we view the world through a, a lens of, of pessimism and cynicism. But, but we're invited to put on our gospel glasses and to view the world through a lens of gospel hope. And gospel hope says that because Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is returning, God's love wins. And we can interpret any situation we're in through that lens. So gospel hope is something to consider and think about. Gospel hope is honest and it's active. Paul closed the previous section in Romans 8 
uh, talking about calling how, how as we share in Christ's suffering, we can also share in his glory. In, at the beginning of Romans 8, he gives the best news anybody could ever give. He says, in Christ, there's no condemnation. And he gives us the news that, that if you know Jesus, you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. And now he's saying that there's this future glory coming. And he says it's going to be unveiled. It's going to be revealed. The, 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 the wrapping paper is going to be ripped off. And we're going to be revealed as God always created us to be. This whole universe will be set free and made new. And the whole universe, he says, is looking to the children of God, waiting for us to be set free. Because that will be the universe's cue that it's set free too. Paul's salvation that he's describing here in this little passage, Romans 8, 18 through 25, this is so much bigger than you and Jesus. I mean, you and Jesus is a big deal, but Paul's talking about the cosmos. He's talking about the universe. He's talking about planets and stars that we don't even know about yet are all going to be set free from futility and nothingness and death and decay and are going to be made new. So gospel hope is honest. This world is even in an even bigger mess than we comprehend. Gospel hope is active because God is at work taking this world to a good future. Man, I want to be part of that. Because God is working, and he's going to set right everything, and he's going to restore this world and this universe. Man, if he's taking this world to a beautiful future, I, I want to be part of that now. And, and, and I want to be part of that forever, and I can be part of that as I, as I extend forgiveness, as I do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with him, as I share the gospel with my friends and my enemies and my neighbors. The gospel story promises that love wins. And if I believe love wins, how am I going to live in community with those God has placed in my life. If I believe that love wins, if I believe that even if I don't like you, if you know Jesus, we're going to spend eternity together, how's that going to affect the way I practice community? Now, what if I really believe that love wins? How would that affect my life? Gospel Hope tells a story that rivals all other stories. You know, we've always had in this world, for thousands of years, for millennia, there's been stories about how the earth came to be, how the universe came to be, and where it's going. So thousands of years ago, kind of the, one of the main stories that people told to explain the, the earth and, and where it came from and where it was going was some religions said that the earth was actually the dead carcass of a god who died in battle. Doesn't that sound appetizing? And we were all living on this dead divine being's body. Um, and, and, and other religions taught that the earth and everything you could touch was evil and wicked. Um, and, and the creation story of Genesis 1 is an alternative to, it's a critique of, it's a challenge to those prevailing stories. Genesis 1 says, no, the, the earth isn't God, and the earth isn't evil. The earth was created by a good God, and God looked at his creation and called it good. See, it's a challenge to. It's a critique of, it's an alternative to the prevailing stories. Um, the world is good, but it's not God. The prevailing story today about the origin and the destination of our universe is a story told by science. And often, we try to pit faith and science against each other, and we try to make those two enemies. But we don't need to make faith and science enemies. There may be some world-class scientists sitting in this room. And I, I think if you study God's world... That's going to lead you to 
more worship of him and greater wonder at him. Uh, so don't be afraid. Of that. I think science and, 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 and faith can pair together like a great steak and the beverage of your choice. You know what I mean? Uh, we sang about water turning into wine earlier, so we can, you know, whatever. But uh, steak and sweet tea or steak and, 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 and wine, Will, or whatever, okay? Um, but they pair together. They go together well. And, and, and reason is incomplete without faith. And faith is complemented by reason. And so science has made some great discoveries. People started studying this world and this universe because they wanted to know more about God's creation. And so science can reveal the magnitude of this universe, but it can't give us meaning. It can't give us the meaning of this universe. It can't tell the whole story. And so scientists hypothesize and accept by faith that this, many scientists, uh, that this universe came into being 15 billion years ago with a big bang. Stephen Hawking says that, and he's taken a science class or two, I think. He says that 15 billion years ago, this world came into being with a big bang. And, and not only did this universe come into being, but time itself began. Wow. Um, and so, you know, if I'm going to say the universe began 15 billion years ago, it's not too big of a leap for me to say there's been a God who's been around for eternity. 15 billion years sounds almost like eternity to me. Man, it's not a big leap from there to say, hey, there's a God that spoke the universe into existence. It's not a big leap for me, for me to say, there's been a God who's been on his throne for uh, 30 trillion years and, and he was just getting warmed up. He's been here forever and he always will be. The science story says that over billions of years and under just the right set of circumstances, life developed on earth and maybe a few other places and eventually life forms on earth became more complex and more complex and more complex and then here we are today. And it's random and yet, our, our story tells a different story. That it's not random. That it's not chance. That there's been a good and wise, providential creator who has guided every molecule of this universe up until now. He knows every molecule in this universe, every molecule in your body, and he knows where he's taking this universe, and he knows where he's taking you. So science has some, some stories about where this world is going. And it ain't pretty, all right? It ain't pretty. Um, there's these two opposing forces, gravity and expansion, that are at work in our universe. And, if, and, and, and gravity is pulling the universe closer together, and expansion is spreading the universe further apart. And so according to science, if gravity wins, this universe will collapse into blood and fire and death in a few billion years. If expansion wins the tug of war, which is most likely, eventually everything will be so scattered, the universe will be so big, everything will be so spread out and far apart, that eventually when the stars burn out, the universe will be cold, dark, empty, nothingness. Theoretical physicist John Polkinghorne, um, he's, a, he, he's a, a published physicist and uh, uh, the real deal, and then he became an Anglican priest and a theologian. He's a Christian and he's a scientist. And he says, from its own unaided resources, natural science can do no more than present us with a contrast of a finely tuned and fruitful universe which is condemned to ultimate futility. There's a strange thing 
that science has discovered, that this world is finely tuned. This universe is it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's so well designed. And it's fruitful. But yet, it's condemned to one day either collapse in on itself or blow up. It's futility. If that paradox, so what is futility? Futility is me trying to sweep the leaves every Sunday out here. And then as soon as I come back in, they all blow back in the door. And that's kind of what the scripture, when it says the, 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 the creation was subjected to futility, we're just in the cycle of death and decay. Uh, Polkinghorne goes on to say, if that paradox is to receive a resolution, it will be beyond the reach of science on its own. We shall have to explore whether theology can take us further by being both humble enough to learn what it can from science and bold enough to hold firm to its own sources of insight and understanding. So we have to be humble enough to say to science, wow, you're right. The universe is huge. The universe is vast. And as I hear that, I just think, as I hear about scientific discoveries, I think, man, God is even more incredible than I thought. Wow. And we can be bold enough to say, you know what, but I refuse to believe that all this is happening by chance and that it's all random. You know, when you view the universe through a microscope or through a telescope or through the lens of San Antonio traffic on Thanksgiving or I-20 traffic, when you view it through that lens, it does seem random. It does seem meaningless. And yet our story tells us that there is a good and a providential creator who's carrying this universe and you along with it, if you choose, somewhere good. So don't be scared of science. Be amazed at the scope of creation. But know that natural science can only present us with part of the story. And the rest of the story is that there's a providential God at work. Gospel hope calls us to be midwives. And in, in, in verse 20. Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility. We read that, verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul goes from Genesis language when he talks about futility. He's talking about the futility of sin that was introduced by our rebellion against God. And then he goes into Exodus language and he talks about how we're going to be set free from slavery. And then he moves into birth language that all the, the pains and the groans of this world, the sufferings of this world, the decay of this world, he says these aren't groans and agony that are going to end in death and an eternity of silence. These are groans that are going to end and result in something new being born. And as the people of God, we have this awesome privilege to be midwives as we gather around one another and we say, keep pushing, keep trusting, God is doing something good. God subjected this universe to futility and to decay so that we would cry out to him in hope and we would long for the day that he would rip off the wrapping paper and reveal his glory for all the universe to see. Um, Paul closes with hope. He says, so hope doesn't hope for what it sees. It hopes for what it can't see. Christian people are people who are anchored by hope. We know suffering but we know hope. It's interesting to me that the same tug of war that science says is going on in the universe, there's this tug of war between closing in and collapsing versus spreading out into isolation. That's the same tug of war that goes on in all of our lives. 
We're all tempted to close the circle, close the circle, close the circle, where it's just me and three other people that agree with me, and that's, that's my only people. Or we're tempted to scatter out and spread out into isolation and be all alone. And yet there's an alternative. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Imagine if Father, Son, and Spirit were sitting around a table billions or trillions of years ago and said, you know what? Man, this is good. I think I want to create Jerry to be part of this. I'd love to share this with Will. Man, Misty's going to love this. And what if the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in creating this universe are inviting us, and this is what the Scripture is saying, inviting us into the very life of God. God is inviting you to His table. He's inviting you to the party. And it's God's party, and God gets to have His party on His terms, and the way we enter His party is by repentance and faith. We turn from our way, and we trust Him. That's one table. Another table that's going to get a lot of attention over the next few days is this communion table. Over the next few weeks, we're going to have communion every Sunday between now and Christmas as we remember, as we gather around this table, we remember that Jesus is enough and that Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ is returning again. And, and the third table is the table of community. You've got a table in your house, probably. If not, use a box, just turn it upside down. If God has invited you to his table, and if we have access to this table, what are you doing with your table? If we want to summarize all of the one another's of Scripture, forgive, bless, serve, encourage, honor, I think you can summarize all those one another's if you just practice having somebody over to your table for a meal. How much restoration could begin in your life if you just invited somebody over for dinner? That person you really don't want to invite over for dinner. And those people you really do want to have. So much goodness happens around a table. How would I practice the one another's of Scripture if I believed I would spend eternity with these people? You know, imperfect community around your dining room table is a foretaste of that day we're all going to gather around the table in the presence of God. Colossians 3 says that when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, we will be revealed with Him in glory. The gospel story promises that love wins. So as, as the band's coming forward, I want to leave you with one thought. Richard Rohr, um, author and theologian, writes, God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. God doesn't love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. The future of this universe, the future of your life, isn't hinging on whether you deserve it or not. Thank God. It hinges on this good God who loves you because He is good. He is good. So what are you going to do with that? I think that Jesus is inviting every single one of us to repent and believe. He's inviting you to the party. 